Hello everyone and welcome to this episode, the learning environment one of the Women Talking About Learning podcast. I'm Andrew Jacobs. As I've said before, the experience of listening to these sessions as they record is an amazing privilege. I have no clue what the speakers are going to cover and when a topic is as broad as the learning environment, I'm always going to be delighted by how the guests take it and run with it and this week is no exception. Our two guests are Tina Dreixer and Michelle Parry Slater. Tina is an agile learning professional and co-founder of Mevolute. With a background in the field of education science, she is rooted in the topic of human-centred innovation. Her new company supports larger companies on the way to holistic learning culture. Our second guest is Michelle Parry Slater. Michelle is the author of the Learning and Development Handbook and an award-winning forward-thinking learning development professional. Michelle's focus is on how to do better workplace learning and wants us to stop sticking plaster learning solutions. Michelle thinks we should dig into systemic and cultural issues which will enable L&D solutions to gain better traction and enable success. I agree with Michelle completely and I'm proud and grateful to call her a friend. This is Women Talking About Learning. This is Tina and Michelle talking about learning environment. So hi Michelle, how are you doing today? Hi Tina, it's lovely to uh, be chatting to you and learn a little bit more about your thoughts and um, and you, as we've never met. Um, I'm doing very well, how about yourself? Thank you, I'm pretty excited as well. I'm pretty curious about your experience and your thoughts on the learning environment. And I'm doing fine, we're just getting spring in Berlin and Germany and I'm so excited about all the sunshine we had the last days. Indeed, I'm looking for some of that sunshine. Could you send it over to England, please? Because I'm looking out of a very grey office window at the moment, incredibly wet. Um, but this is the environment that we're in, isn't it? And different days, different weather gives us different moods. And I think that can affect how we learn, how we work. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you agree or is that a different view from your perspective? Yes, I totally agree. Everything what you just mentioned affects our our learning mood and our motivation as well. So there are some days where even me is pretty excited to try out new stuff, to uh, maybe to, uh, experiment a bit with new knowledge again. But then there are other days which are just maybe like to chill a bit on the sofa and to maybe just use the time to reflect about the past week. Reflection is a really interesting um, conversation, actually, because I think that what we do sometimes in learning is we don't give enough, we don't build in enough time for reflection. And where does that happen? So um, on a grey, miserable you know, day in England, trying to think about your successes and how you can build on those, for example, is quite difficult from inside of an office. But actually on a sunny day, you know, going for a walk mm -hmm. and having that reflection, I think you'd come out with a different outcome. And for me, the learning environment really is where do we do this different work and how that impacts on our mood, our attitude, our actual intake of, of knowledge and the application of that knowledge as well. Do you find in Berlin, is there opportunity in organisations for, um, for different environments, for different activities when it comes to learning or is it, is it not like that there? I think we are still very in the beginning of understanding the importance of well-designed learning environments at the workplace. So we tend to be more busy. So because when we are busy, we look good and we 
get a lot of stuff done, but busyness is not all about the learning and the reflection you already mentioned. So we are still lacking the opportunities to reflect and to have guided reflection at the workplace, to have it built into our own yeah, day-to-day -day work that is still uh, missing a lot. And how is it uh, with your clients? So a lot of my clients come to me because we are working around things being different. Um, but I think it's they're not necessarily the norm when it comes to businesses in the UK where learning takes place. You know, obviously it used to be in a classroom, but now it's it's either e-learning or a live online setting. And then suddenly it's like back to the business as usual, back to the day job. Um, whereas clients that I work with, I try to encourage every single time that we have um, the right environment for the right activity, for the right learning that needs to take place. So I've worked with clients where we've put QR codes, for example, around factories because people working on a machine need to learn in the moment. So that QR code leads to a resource, sometimes a video, not always, sometimes just a checklist, that kind of thing. And so people can learn in the environment in which they are actually doing the work. Otherwise, what sometimes happens, you go to the abstract, don't you? You go to a classroom or you go to an e-learning and then you as a learner, as a person in that work has to take that back to, you know, to make sense of it in your actual context and setting. So I try to avoid that. That said, many clients don't have the luxury of the option mm -hmm. because the, the stakeholder expectations are that we will, you know, have a presentation or we'll have yes. an e-learning or whatever. So there's ambition, but it's not the norm. Yeah. I really love the idea with the QR codes uh, the first time I heard about this. So it's really for me transferring the learning on demand into the actual workplace. And um, here with my clients, we talk about a lot about the agile learning approach. This is kind of a buzzword here right now in Germany. I don't know how it is in UK. So we are really trying to use um, agile ways of working to enhance our learning environments. So, and one aspect of agility is learning on demand. So learning something at that point when I need that. And uh, not in, in my past years, I was a trainer for, for agile transformation topics. And we always struggled in during that three days training to really do the transfer from what do we learn here so what do we teach what are this is the theory and how do people can um, adapt during their day-to-day -day work to the new learning so that was always tough and even when we try to have a reflection time maybe 20 minutes after each topics people struggle they just go back to work the next day and it, it's gone it's just gone and so I think from my point of view, it's, all, um, it's a point of my, my, my desk as well. So the room I'm sitting in has a big impact on my own mindset towards what did I just learn? What do I want to learn? So do you have some experience about the, the room setup as well? Maybe a personal desk or something? What, what can enhance this learning environment? I utterly and totally agree with you. And so many times we're taken into a corporate learning setting, which is so sterile compared to the place that we work in. Um, it doesn't reflect or feel like that. And it puts too much pressure on the individuals to then really do the sense making somewhere else. So where possible, I try to really encourage the type of activity that we're doing to reflect, be reflected in the learning environment. 
So if we're having to do this online, which of course many of us are and have been for the last uh, few months, it's about really good design, really thinking about what is it that you want people to learn. And there's so many great tools out there that you could perhaps use, be that, I don't know, Slido or Mentimeter or, you know, whether it's Adobe Connect or Zoom or whatever, but making use of those tools to really help land the learning in an appropriate way. Um, so one of the things I did um, just the end back end of last year with a client was uh, we we worked with outside space um, and it always reminds me, I don't know if you had this feeling in Berlin, but certainly in the UK, if ever the teacher said to you, let's go to the school field because it's a lovely sunny day, they're quite rare, you know, a lovely sunny day, you go outside and you learn outside. I can remember, and I wasn't at school, you know, recently, it was a long time ago, but I can remember those days because um, it's so impactful, it's so different that I, you know, I remember being out there and, and the sun on your back and it just totally changes your mindset. So I've been doing that sort of experiment with Street Wisdom. So I don't know if you've come across Street Wisdom. They're a not-for-profit um, set up by David Pearl. And whenever I use it in a corporate setting, I always make a donation to them because they are a not-for-profit. Um, and we've used it with a retail client recently because their brief was, we want people to lead in a different way. We want people to think differently. And so, well, let's think about how we could do that we had street wisdom involved in that project we had wild mind writing which julie driber led for us we had um suk pabial talking to the teams about um different ways they could do online so we were using fishbowl rachel burnham came in and she was doing sketch noting so all these different activities that were going on were just a way of saying your environment, your thinking can change depending on what you're trying to do in what place. So just heading back to the street wisdom, um, a lot of the store managers are like, I've never even thought to take my colleague out of store to have a conversation about their development or to have a one to one. And that's now what they're getting involved in. Um, because the thinking is so much different. You're, you're, you're almost free and creative. Um, but as I said earlier, it, it's unfortunately not the norm. And I'd love for it to be the norm for us to think in our learning design, where and how are we having these conversations, this activity, this learning? What sorts of things are you getting up to, Tina, in, in terms of learning environment? Exactly. I really like your, your ideas. That's a very playful approach, which I try to integrate as well. Um, during the remote time, so it got a little bit tough, but I really encourage my my training participants, for example, to sit every day on a different place in their house, just try out different environments. Maybe someday they are sitting on the sofa, the next day they are sitting in the kitchen and the day after they are even sitting on the ground with the back, maybe on the wall, just experiencing different ways of learning, working environments. And um, I really try to integrate some walk and talk. So where we just switch off the cameras and it's just audio all the time. This is changing your, your ability to focus in a different way. I really like it. And um, yeah, so I think experimenting with stuff which is surrounding me can help to come into a good learner mindset. Uh, one day I ask uh, my clients to bring something what inspires them. 
just put it on the table and have it there with you and but change it every week there is a different thing on your table which gives you new inspiration which helps you to motivate yourself and then people have conversations about the stuff they are bringing to their table which is quite a nice conversation starter as well and um, yeah you mentioned a lot of people you involving during that um, um, activities so what do you think how important is collaboration for for good learning environments i think it's really important so many rich things i just want to pick up on what you said i love the idea of bringing an object um, or sharing objects i've done that before in terms of icebreakers and things like that but actually having something on your desk and it's curious about what you surround yourself with especially as we're now working from home a lot of the time where, where do we get that balance i have a bunch of postcards that i've collected up over the years which give me a little bit of a kind of inspiration and I just change them periodically to, to just you know kind of oh that's an interesting thought and they say a little bit they're sort of affirming if you like postcards so that's a really good idea thanks for sharing that one but um, to go back to the collaboration question I think there's two parts to it one is the people the people that you collaborate with and and um, what they bring to the space um, and I'm involved in uh, L&D co-work, which is a small uh, voluntary co-work uh, enterprise in the UK, and we try to get space, physical space, and we've been doing it online during the pandemic, but we're going back to face to face thanks to our uh, volunteer host, um, Neil Gavin, and he's bringing people together again. The idea behind that is you work in learning and development or people profession, OD, HR, just sharing space together, holding space with and for each other is really important. So the people are key and crucial, but also the physical space itself, does it inspire? Does it change the mood? You know, we started this conversation thinking about the weather, um, but I think also thinking about the physical space and so many organizations that are involved in learning i don't think we put enough effort into the physical space we put people in or the online space that we put people in is it welcoming is it conducive to the work that needs to be done in that space so there's i don't know about in berlin that certainly a few hotels in the uk are starting to change what they the, the traditional corporate learning environment which used to be kind of you know chairs in a circle or chairs around a u-shape with tables and we've got a bit more sort of breakout areas and uh, we've got a bit more um you know interesting colors and paintings and things like that on the wall because staring at a painting for example helps your mind to just rest and be inspired and therefore you end up with a better um, outcome um, but the third element of that collaboration really i just want to mention about is on the same project i talked about earlier we also had meg pepin um, involved and she is an advocate of Nancy Klein's The Thinking Environment, um, which is really all about helping people to do really good thinking by holding space for them. So it's almost like a twofold thing, there's a physical activity that's going on um, and it almost does it matter where it is? Sometimes I think you get better thinking in different locations. So you've got the physical activity, but also where is that physically happening? Um, and Nancy's work and certainly Meg's work as a proponent of the thinking environment really, really dig into good learning, good thinking. Um, and, and I think we perhaps as learning professionals need to get better at considering where is the activity happening? What is the environment that 
that that activity is taking place in? What is it inspiring in that learning? Um, and, you know, is it actually detracting? Do you have that sort of similar hotel type environment for learning in Berlin? Um, yes and no, it, it changes, um, I would say. And um, I'm, I'm rooted in the field of um, human-centered design. So in the past 10 years, I did, did a lot of design thinking workshops and trainings. So I was quite luxury because some fancy innovation lofts always looked great with colorful post-its we had a lot of flexible furniture which could be adopted to the needs of the group um, you could have single workplaces or you could have a big one for some presentation so I was um, yeah quite comfortable with these spaces and then I switched a bit from from the design thinking innovation to more the the L&D part so and then I was a bit frustrated because I experienced what you just mentioned. There were fixed tables, you cannot move them, it's very gray, it's very surreal. So I was a bit sad and I tried to really, I always try to make them feel somehow at home when they are in such a learning environment. And um, regarding the collaboration aspect, which is fitting here quite well, because it's not just my task as the facilitator, for example, to create the a good learning environment. I can I can do a start, but the participants as well are responsible to make them feel comfortable. Because I don't know which aspects um, they maybe like um, to have in a, such a learning environment, and um, they are responsible for their own learning outcome. So I, in the very beginning, I encourage everyone to step out of a, like a passive attitude toward that, that learning experience and to kind of ask themselves, so what do you think? How should we change the room setup here? So just taking 20 minutes in the beginning of a session to, with everyone in the room, think about improving the room situation for just the day we have ahead. And then people always already start to be active to kind of okay I know what's what's going ahead here what's coming I I'm not here just sitting and listening I, I need to do something and this is uh, from my experience a great start for the for the room setup and for the collaboration as well I think that's an excellent idea so the actual activity is them thinking about their environment before they even start and taking an active role in that I wonder and I'm sure it does translate back to the workplace when they you know physically be that online or um, through homeworking or in a physical location. I'm really curious to see um, if there's any results of that, but I can imagine that people would just start their mindset. You know, what is my setup here? Am I, mm -hmm. you know, I, I always stand up, for example, I'm standing up now yes. to record this. I always stand up when I uh, deliver and facilitate online um, because I would do that in a, in a physical setting generally speaking. So I tend to do it in an online setting as well, because it just puts me physically in that mindset. It helps me physiologically because I can breathe more deeply. My lungs will open more because I'm standing up and that puts more oxygen in my brain. Um, so even that, um, that approach can help and change the way that people learn and think, um, you know, it also helps you do shorter sessions because standing up for the whole day is quite hard work. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I can imagine. So, yeah, and um, to be honest, people 
I mean, this is just my experience. Um, people usually have a very passive attitude towards learning. Maybe it's because of the time at school where we just sit for a lot of hours, we listen and we get a good grade when we just can repeat the next day what's told yeah. before. So this is not something where we get asked about our own opinion. So maybe I really like to describe it that we are not the victims of our circumstances. So we can act, we can do stuff. And this is always what I try to encourage people, which is quite tough when we think about our day-to-day -day work, because usually we have team leads, we have managers, everyone is just supposed to tell us what we need to do. And um, from one day to another, there is LD coming asking us, okay, so what do we want to learn? And I'm like, oh God, I, I don't know, what, what should I learn? So where's the guidance? So we are now in the very um, exciting times where this is transforming so people reflect more on their own learning needs what am i interested in where do i want to go so and during um especially during some transformation issues uh, in the field of agility where we put more responsibility to the people and away from the managers and lead team leads for example now i lost my train of thought <laughs> Well, your train of thought was excellent. I'm sitting, I'm standing here nodding my head because I think you're absolutely correct. What always baffles me and has done for the entire of my career in learning and development is why do people come to work and expect their career development, their, their personal development to be owned by their organization? Why do they not grab it with two hands? In every other aspect of our lives, we control our learning, we control our environment, we choose where we live, we choose when we go on holiday and where we go on holiday. We, you know, we choose a lot of aspects of our lives, but we come to work and learning is done unto us. And then we complain about it because it's not being done in a way that suits us or we choose. I'm like, just own your own development people. And this really, this conversation reminds me that they need to also own their own learning environment as well. Um, of course, let's be realistic. It isn't always everyone's choice. Um, it isn't, you know, for the compliance learning that we have to do or, the uh, you know the five day program that maybe if you're an accountant for example and you have to do your exams and that sort of thing how much choice can we give our learners around their learning environment but I think your way is a really nice way where you invite people you know here's the tables and chairs what can we do with these to make it better for you um, I think it plays into a lot of what we've been thinking about more recently and probably should have been thinking about for a long time which is accessibility the access to learning um, in a way that suits everybody and includes everybody is a really important angle when we talk about this environment um, piece. I'll never forget one of my very early engagements as a, a freelancer, I was brought in to help land a learning management system. Um, it was a new type of learning management system, sort of a learning experience platform, I guess you'd call it these days, but that terminology hadn't quite landed at the time. And, um, and it was in a retailer and they said that we're really excited about this because this will help us to really communicate with our teams and get the messages out there and then get them quickly to the customers. But what nobody had actually realized is that this was a system that ran um, on a web-based browser type approach and they had DOS-based till systems that they were going to you know, use it on. So there's something in the hardware 
environment that we need to also consider. So when I think about people owning their own development, if you are going to push through, for example, you know, a learning experience platform that people can use on their mobile phones, are you giving them a work mobile phone? Are you paying for their data downloads? Or are you then expecting them to be able to do that themselves? So I've had clients where they've contributed five pounds a month towards a data approach in order for the individual to use their own device. Bearing in mind, often our hardware environment personally can be better than our work environment. And mm -hmm. um, certainly was the case when I had a work Blackberry and uh, an iPhone in my pocket. Um, but maybe that's changed a little bit now. But uh, I wonder what your thoughts are, Tina, on this kind of online environment, um, because it is really where a lot of learning is taking place now. Um, you know, mm -hmm. do we consider the hardware as well as the software approach? Uh, any other thoughts around that from your perspective? Yeah, um, I think for me behind that story is the aspect of um, user focus again. So I'm coming from the field of design thinking. So we always um, start with the user. So maybe this is why um, the learner journey, journeys as a tool are now becoming famous more and more because people start to ask themselves first. So what do the learner need? Um, is there a phone available? Which touch points does the learner have with our service or our product or our whatever we want to offer? So really trying to step into the shoes of the learner and giving the perspective from that point of view and experience the, the learner journey from that side is in the beginning very important before we decide we want to have a new LMS or however we want to call it, really thinking about what is what is the need here? So how can I tackle that? And maybe there are other ways. Maybe there are much cheaper ways. Maybe we can, I don't know, just doing some regular feedback session, changing a bit our culture in our organization. So we have other informal learning happening, which is kind of maybe cheaper, but is maybe even better suits the needs of our learners even better than a new tool, for example. So really starting in the beginning with the with the user focus, doing research on that. I'm currently uh, working in a project with an L&D. They really want to try to implement some innovative learning initiatives. And we talked a lot about agile approaches, how to combine and how they can enhance um, our day-to-day -day work. And the funny thing is, they, they wrote down a, a project uh, um, plan after it and the user research was missing. So I said, guys, come on. We, we talked about it in the very beginning and it, it's lost again here. And I said, yeah, you're right, Tina. We, we are so much used to our old ways of working that we just missed that point again. And But now it's on top of the agenda. So the first thing they need to do now is asking the people, doing some interviews, doing some observations during the day. So how do people learn here? What do they need? I absolutely love this whole design thinking approach and the fact that you started there um, really helps build the evidence to why we need to consider, um, you know, not just environment, but what is the learning design. And I think we just need to get better at that in L&D. Mm -hmm. It's like you say, we slip into our old ways because that's what we know and that's what we've done forever. And um, it's easy to not think about those things, but actually good learning design, of course, must start with the end. And the end is the user, is the end is the learner themselves, isn't it? So I really love that approach. I wonder what you think about the next steps. I mean, I don't see 
um, learning online going away. I think the line, live online environment is going to be here to stay. And I'm not just saying that because I love it, it's my favorite medium, but I wonder um, around things like VR and creating better online learning environments. Have you had any experience with any of that kind of um, VR or AI type of environments? Um, not so far in like in more in my, in my free time, I'm kind of experimenting uh, mostly with AR and I'm a, I'm a fan. I really like it. I think it can help, especially, um, for example, medicine students who are not able to cut a human body open from the very first day to really, um, have a better education and that using some AR technologies, for example, and especially for blue color workers, I can imagine that during the um, education processes can help as well when there are big machines, they can learn better at home, maybe instead of going there and being uh, there present. So yeah, I think there is a lot of stuff coming and I'm quite curious. And I think maybe, as you mentioned, accessibility again is a tough topic when we talk about AR and VR again. So we need to make sure that we include everyone who wants to be included in that in that process as well. I've had a couple of experiences myself, and one of the things that I think is the next level, the next step. So with the VR side of things is that you can really feel the learning. And when you feel something, we have an emotional response to it. Um, it stays with you for a lot longer. So um, there's an organization called Immerse and they've built, uh, well, I've had two experiences with them actually. They built um, a pill machine, which uh, the reason they built that is they had a, a, a client um, who is uh, a pill manufacturer, a pharmacist, couldn't think of the word, a pharmacy company. And they had this real machine that they used to travel around the world to try and train people on how to use it. But the machine cost a million pounds. And of course, if you're moving in a million pound machine around the world, the travel, often it would get damaged. So it made huge sense for them to invest in the VR. And you sort of, you go in, you put your gloves on and whatever, and you're making these pills. And you know, you put your hand in the wrong bit of the machine, and it crushes you or you put your, you know, you can break things easily. And, and I can feel I remember the feeling of that. But worse still, they had a, a system where it was almost like a sort of 3D room, a little bit like Second Life, that old computer simulation. And um, it went on fire when I was in there and I was like, oh, oh what can I do? They said, oh, over, over there is some um, fire extinguishers. And I, of course, I picked up the wrong extinguisher, blew the whole place up. And I still hold guilt that I've blown up this, this fake environment, but it's because you feel it. And then if you feel it, if you have an emotional response to it, it sticks with you and, and you can really learn it. So I think that there's a potential good future mm -hmm. for um, learning environments, which are in the artificial world. However, it doesn't seem to have moved on much. We don't seem to have had, you know, a sort of you'd think that the pandemic would have been a good time to start thinking about how can you create these but I, I'm not seeing a lot um, you know come through around that kind of thing and I wonder if that is the next steps or maybe is it just still too expensive I, I mean I don't know the answers to that but it certainly sort of scratches an itch of curiosity in me in how mm -hmm. can we make our digital learning environments really really effective um, mm -hmm. as well as our physical learning environments. And I think all, this, all the things we've been talking about remain, whether it's physical or, or um, you know, uh, virtual. 
any final thoughts then we've got to wrap up soon but I've really enjoyed our conversation yeah me too and I, I really um I really like your thoughts about the the AR and um I think uh the Microsoft Teams extension so with the learning suite I'm I'm looking forward to this a lot so maybe there is coming soon more and on the other hand I experienced a lot of clients who are just saying we are so tired of all the digital stuff we just want to meet just be in one room all together so there will be both in the future i'm pretty sure and just to add another for me exciting opportunity in the area of of digital improvement for learning is uh, everything what's surrounded about the blockchain technology because i think um, from a certificate point of view there will be interesting solutions um, regarding the visibility of learning path maybe the credibility of batches so this is a one development i'm looking forward to a lot yeah yeah i see and i do think you're right people do want to meet we want we want to have that connection um i mean i think this is wonderful you're sitting in an entirely different country we would never have met had it not mm -hmm. been for this podcast um so you know thanks to andrew for putting us together because i have really enjoyed the conversation but ultimately i think we will end up with a hybrid situation where people are physical and people are online but i genuinely encourage people to think about what that looks like even down to the paint color on the walls you know let's just get a little bit more realistic about what's effective around you know where creates um the right space for people to think for people to reflect for people to learn and it is never going to be in a standard hotel room with those awful overhead strip lights and uh, you know desks and chairs yeah. behind them because it's not the 1800s is it it's you know we've had that classroom set up for such a long time and the reasons we had that classroom set up you know one teacher one book was lack of resource and we don't have that now we have the internet so we could be a lot mm -hmm. more creative if we choose to be exactly that already sounds like a, a call to action in the end so <laughs> maybe my my final thought to that is um because i think um we need to change our own attitude um towards learning to become a role model ourselves so i like to say learning is like breathing it's a life-sustaining activity and it happens all the time but we are just mostly not aware of it so we really need to curve out some reflection time every day to realize all the little things we learned during our fully packed days. And there are a lot of useful digital helping apps out there to support that process as well. So just visit the app store maybe after that podcast and have a look at which reflection tool you like to use in the next days to think about your perfect learning environment. Perfect. That's a great call to action. I'm going to go for a dog walk, which is where I do my reflective practice. Um, so yeah, I'm going to enjoy a bit of the rain. And um, even that, you know, it just changes your mood. It makes you think differently. So that's what I'm going to do after we record this. But I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks so much for sharing your thoughts. Let's keep in touch. I'm curious to see, you know, if we did this in a year from now, would things be different? Who knows? Thanks, Tina. Yes. Thank you so much, Michelle, from my side as well. I enjoyed it a lot. And yeah, have a good time with your dog. I'm pretty sure sooner or later we will hear each other again. Thanks. As always, I'm incredibly fortunate to be in the room when we record women talking about learning. What was great this time, again, was the privilege of sitting in to listen to two people who didn't know each other before the recording, but created connections and shared thinking. Tina and Michelle are both on LinkedIn and you'll find their contact details in the show notes 
as well as links to their websites and books and so on. As always, links to the items referenced by the guests are also in the show notes. Our most sincere thanks to both Tina and Michelle for their contributions to another excellent episode. Please do like and subscribe to Women Talking About Learning on your podcast player. It really does make it easier for people to find us. Take care, and once again, we'll see you again soon.